Today on our show, in 20 words or less, Michael Algros, the writer of Who Designed the Designer, is going to explain to us the existence of God. Aloha. From the sandy beaches of Hawaii comes a wave of God's love and the challenge to go deeper. Paddle out with us and experience the thrills of the radical plan God has for your life. It's Deep Adventure Radio with your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak uh, with Deep Adventure Ministries. We really appreciate all of our listeners, especially those who are, are going to our website, uh, writing us, giving us feedback. On the bottom right-hand corner of our website, there's a little thing that says, leave a message. Leave a message for us so we can play it on our radio show. It has to be brief, you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds, maybe as much as a minute. Uh, but we'd love to have uh, your voice on our radio show, too. And I want to thank all of you. Today, I actually sent off my next book to Franciscan Media, uh, Deep Adventure, The Way of Heroic Virtue. And uh, in the thank you portion, I thanked all of our faithful listeners and uh, the dedicated people who help support our ministry. There's a donate button there. You know, we, we are totally self-supported. It's kind of up to you to help us do that. And we have, um, we have a, an adventure that we want to do. We want to, you know, we're, we shot a reality show last summer <clears throat> called uh, Deep Adventure Quest, where we took some men surfing and we did a, and we did a, seven talks on the on the virtues. Uh, we took them flyboarding. We just did all kinds of adventures uh, in the context of that. <clears throat> some great relationships were built, not only with each other, but going deeper with God. And we're doing this again uh, the weekend of October 3rd. Father Mark Goring of the Catholic Charismatic Center in Houston is inviting everyone to come. So you're welcome to come join us in Houston. Go to our website. We'll, we'll get you connected with the details. But we're going to be going down to the Galveston area, I guess, and I don't know all that Father Mark has planned. I think we may even go tanker surfing, where they take us way out into the water and we catch a wake off of one of those big tankers. So I really don't know what he has up his sleeve, but I do know this. Father Mark has had a powerful impact on, on our life and the life of people involved in our ministry. And just to get a chance to be there with him is going to be a great blessing. So come to our next Deep Adventure Quest, uh, Houston, October 3rd through the 4th. And I also want to ask you, we're actually looking for a couple of corporate sponsors, someone who really wants to step up, who really believes in what we're doing. We believe Deep Adventure has kind of a unique voice uh, in this world. We're evangelistic, not just calling new people to conversion, but calling all of us to deeper conversion and, and deeper intimacy with God. But we really do need your help. We have a new project that we want to do, uh, another reality show. You know, I had a reality show on Fox Fuel called Clean Break. Um, and then we just did, an, just did a reality show that we should actually be wrapping up today. We should probably be able to have it available <clears throat> even uh, in a week on our website called The Deep Adventure Quest. And now we want to do the long ride home. Uh, we want to get five or six guys on Harleys, and we wanna, we're thinking about heading out from Boise up into Glacier Park, stopping at a few monasteries, and while we're rolling thunder, uh, have uh, ongoing experience of... Uh, of doing the Liturgy of the Hours, spending time individually doing Lectio Divina. And we're going to talk about the interior life. We're not going to be giving talks. Uh, we're going to be dialoguing. And so we're going to have real men uh, have an opportunity to share from their hearts what their experiences of the different uh, stages of, of contemplative prayer. And we're going to go to the monasteries and hopefully put the microphone on some of the of the monks and nuns there and see what they have to say to us. So, But we're looking for corporate sponsors to help us do that. We really need your help. 
I actually, I've never really asked for help before. We've been so fo- focused on having the best possible show and getting the books done and the tapes done and the, the reality show done. But we're at a stage in our ministry now where we really do need uh, someone on our staff who can work with us full time because there's such a demand uh, uh, on, our, on our on what we're doing. And, uh, and we also need some help to get this reality show off the ground. We really feel once we get this first long ride home reality shoot done that we'll be doing a lot of travel adventure type uh, reality uh, programming. Uh, we would like to take that to uh, in, you know, show that in various ways, whether it's on Netflix or on our favorite network, EWTN, or other networks. But we need your help. So we're, we're, uh, everyone told me we had a conversation yesterday or two days ago, had a couple burritos and a Diet Coke, and everyone said, you know what, it's time for to ask your listeners for some help. So I'm kind of uh, unabashedly uh, doing that. We, we really feel like, it's, like we have something worthy of your support. Now today, one of the things that I, I, I met someone, I was in Chicago, I got inducted into the Catholic Sports Hall of Fame for my surfing, and I'm in the airport, and I got there real early, and I'm sitting, uh, sitting there, and, and in walks this beautiful family, they look like they're all excited, they're talking about going to the Coliseum, going to the Vatican, and I said, are you guys Catholics? And they go, yes, our son just graduated from high school, and uh, we're, this is his uh, high school uh, trip. Uh, we're taking the family to, to Rome. And I said, oh, great, so you're, you're a Christian, I said to the young man. He goes, no, actually, I'm an atheist. And so this show is dedicated to you, uh, young people especially, who have kind of um, come to that place in their lives of sincere and genuine uh, questioning, and uh, it's such a healthy thing to do. And one thing about the Catholic Church, if you know anything about the Catholic Church, is the Catholic mind is free to ask any questions. If you've got any doubt to that, just count how many questions uh, Aquinas asked in his Summa Theologiae. I think it was over 4,000 questions. So you can ask questions about the existence of God, and we have someone here today that's going to give us a kind of a refreshing and different perspective on that uh, question. Michael Algros has written the book, Who Designed the Designer? Uh, I love all the arguments from design uh, that we hear uh, refuting uh, the likes of Richard Dawkins, Stephen Hawkins, and Hitchens, and kind of those new, uh, what do they call themselves? They call themselves the five, uh, the five horses of the non-apocalypse. But we have a, a refreshing look at, at the, that basic question, uh, looking at it from the Thomas Aquinas and the Aristotle perspective with uh, Michael on our show. And I've always said, I mean, I know for sure that there's a God because I love chocolate. And God gave me taste buds, taste buds that let me appreciate it, so that I have no doubt in my mind at all. Uh, but we'll be right back with more Deep Adventure Radio, so stay tuned. You're listening to Deep Adventure Radio with Bear Wozniak, the boldest hour of radio in the history of the world. Be courageous and take your relationship with God to the next level. Check out our website at deepadventure.com. You can sign up for fellow Adventurer Bear's weekly email, Go deeper in faith with Deep Virtue Blog. Order Bear's book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul, and follow Bear as he takes you on a radical adventure through calm tides, monster waves, and the powerful presence of God. At deepadventure.com, you can journey with Bear on his travels, find out how to bring him to your parish or men's conference, and accept the challenge of an intimate relationship with God. Tackle the deepest part of yourself by signing up for our Deep Adventure Quest retreats. The most radical thing you can do is abandon yourself to the wild adventure of God's will. Find out more at deepadventure.com. This is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and you're listening to Deep 
Adventure Radio with the one and only Bear Watson. Aloha and welcome to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak. Uh, today we have a man that Johnny Cash wrote a song about, I've Been Everywhere Man. Uh, this, guy, this guy's been everywhere. He's, uh, he's uh, gone to school at so many different schools and taught in different places. And so uh, we're really happy to have as our guest today the author of a new book, Who Designed the Designer? Michael Algros. Did I say your last name properly? That's right, Algros. Perfect. Because I can't even say my last name properly. So, <laughs> okay. So you have the unique distinction of knowing uh, Professor Peter Kraft, who I'm a big fan of, and he wrote that this. Uh, he wrote on the cover of your book, on the back cover, that this is the best book ever written from a philosophical point of view about the existence of God, and it's destined to be a classic. So yeah. I'm a little bit jealous of that. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was very very generous in in saying that. Um, uh, just so you know, I went to Boston College myself, and uh, he uh, in grad school now, and so I didn't take any courses under him. I think he was teaching mo mostly undergraduate classes at the time, but I did have him on my master's comprehensives board, and uh, so he was part of the panel of five or so professors who were. Uh, free to pe pester me or peg me with all these questions, just shoot all these questions at me. Um, and one, uh, the one question he asked me, I remember, was if you um, raised Plato from the dead right now and, and forced him to read the, the five proofs of God's existence that are in the Summa Theologiae by St. Thomas, what would he say about each one of them? Wow, what a great question. Yeah, it oh was a great gosh. I, I, don't, I don't know if I gave a great answer, but it was good enough to pass, I guess. Really? Yeah. Oh, what, a, what an amazing question that is. That's just a beautiful question. You know, I, I know Peter Kraft um, is a surfer we've had on our show. You know, do you think if I wrote to him, I, my, I'm just sending my next book to my publisher actually right now, today. If I wrote to him and said, Dr. Kraft, will you say that my book is the best book <laughs> ever written by me about virtue? Do you think he would say something like that, at least? I mean... I'm sure he would say something good. He's, he would say uh, something. Especially since you got the whole surfer brotherhood thing going on there. Yeah. So. And, you, and, you, and so, you know, you got to help us. You've been everywhere. Johnny Cash, you know, famously <laughs> wrote this song about you. Can you give us your, your, a little bit of an overview of your CV? Uh, well, gosh, where, where to start? Um, you want me to start early, like uh, where I was born? I was born in Canada, uh, Quebec. Well, you can skip all that part, the Canada part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my CV is is just uh, well. I went to Saint Anselm College. I guess you're a you're a Benedictine of some sort yourself, aren't you? You're well, I'm a I'm a novitiate oblate, novitiate oblate, which means I'm a white belt, the longest white belt in the history of the Benedictine movement. They Got say it. they might make me a full <laughs> oblate uh, this summer. Okay, all right. Well, the, the, so I went to a Benedictine school uh, first. That was in um, St. Anselm College in New Hampshire. And my father's been teaching there for almost 50 years, um, and he's still teaching there now, in fact. So, so I'm the son of a philosopher, I guess you could say. And uh, um, after that, I, I, I ran into some people who had gone to Thomas Aquinas College, which is in Southern California. And the school sounded so strange, so um, countercultural and, and interesting. Uh, because of its program and the way that they run their classes that I just had to go. So after one year at St. Anselm, 
I packed up and moved across the country and, and uh, to basically a, a place where I was a total stranger and went to this tiny little school of, uh, uh, well, now it's about 350, 400 students. Um, but back then it was a good deal smaller. It was kind of like going out into the middle of nowhere and, and uh, um, it, the campus looked like a concentration camp and everything else. It was a bunch of brave souls deciding they didn't like the way um, uh, people were ignoring the great books and we were all going to sit around and talk about them out in the middle of nowhere, out in the mountains really. And so I went to school there um, for four years and then went to grad school at Boston College and got my PhD in philosophy there and, and uh, I've been teaching back here at Thomas Aquinas College. So I started here in 95, uh, taught at a seminary for 11 years back east, and then came back here in 2009, here being Thomas Aquinas uh, in Santa Paula. Tell us the name of that seminary, where it was. That was the Legionaries of Christ Seminary. So they, uh, they're they shut down now. They've had their problems, of course. So, I see. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, a seminary I taught well, there. I, for, I, yeah. know, I know about Aquinas College. I went by there many times. I lived in the Thousand Oaks area. I used to surf up at Sea Street in Rincon. I almost died at Rincon one day. <laughs> and I, I just thought, what is this place? It just seemed like so interesting. And unfortunately... Uh, back in those days, I had not been really introduced to Thomas Aquinas, and uh, I guess I, you know, would have really loved to have gone up there. Now that I know what what you guys are all about, and you do you, when in this in this school, you have a sort of a dialogue uh, relationship with your students, don't you? You're just not teaching them, don't you? Have kind of yeah, a, that's exactly right. So in fact, we're not called professors here because we don't profess. <laughs> we don't we don't get up in front of the classroom and lecture. So um, some people say that oh, that then you use the Socratic method of teaching. Um, but really, I like to say we use the, the conversation method. Uh, we, we don't, if you read the, the dialogues of Plato, you know, he, Socrates is always dominating the conversation and asking simple little yes-no questions. We don't do that with our students. We'll ask them pretty serious questions about whatever it is we read for today, uh, Nietzsche, um, some book out of the scriptures or something. And and we'll, we'll try to guide them through a conversation of their own to discover new things, uh, discover the truth about, about what they read. Yeah, they uh, can't so, really call that a dialogue. I know, uh, I think Socrates yeah. was the alpha male in all those exchanges. Absolutely right. You know? That's right, so, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, you know, I, I, can you explain to me why in the world uh, philosophy has any value at all? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And it's really the one that I was concerned with at the beginning of the book. Um, I was thinking... <laughs> There are good things, beautiful things in the philosophy that, I, that I've been taught that I think faithful um, people ought to hear about, not to know about. They shouldn't be the secrets of, of the philosophers. But one of the big problems is how do, you, how do you even start telling that story? How do you start delivering that message if philosophy just sounds like a, a, a word? It's almost like voodoo or something to most people. It sounds like that. So uh, what do I do about that? And uh, I started writing the book in 2003, and it took me until about 2010 to figure out exactly how to approach that. And basically, the way to uh, the way to do uh, the way that I ended up doing it was just to uh, just start doing the beautiful thing that that philosophy is, and worry about um, yeah, let it speak for itself in some ways. So why is it of any value? Well, because this is what it is: philosophy that deserves the name, and that's wisdom. That's really that's really worth having. It's the love of it's the study of wisdom, or, or yeah, the love of yeah, wisdom, you could right? say it's yeah. it's wisdom. But it's when you say philosophy, you mean a wisdom that human reason can attain. You're not talking about wisdom that you need divine assistance, special divine assistance for, or divine revelation for. So it's you could say it's pre 
revelation. So you're talking about knowing things like there's a God and you have a soul that's immortal and things like that. Those are things really worth knowing and not just uh, believing, but even, even knowing if you can. And that's, um, that's the kind of thing that, that philosophy can do for you. Uh, so that those are worthwhile truths, <clears throat> but, but how do you get there? Well, the idea is to get there from your ordinary experience, everyday experience. For you surfing, I suppose, uh, you can experience the divine out there, but, but the way a philosopher goes about it is to see uh, uh, certain general principles, general truths that are embodied in our everyday lives, in our ordinary experiences, our ordinary contact with the world, and then you take those out of there and you put them together and you start reasoning out to their consequences. And some of the consequences of our ordinary experiences of, of just being human beings are that uh, we have immortal souls and there has to be a mind that, that put us together. And that is the author of the whole natural world. Those are uh, necessary, inevitable consequences of the facts of ordinary experience. You know, in reading your book, you le um, and we're going to get into it a little bit, a little bit deeper here in a few minutes. But just in reading your book, it reminds me of the the syllogy uh, in the Princess Bride, where I forget who the two characters are, but they're sitting across from the table at each other, and there's one of the drinks is poison. Oh yeah, sure. And he kind of now now his name is Vicini. Okay, <laughs> and I keep hearing Vicini's voice when I'm reading your book because you're just kind of leading me uh, very gently and easily along this logical path and. Uh, and, it, and really, and really, philosophy is 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 a thing of thing of beauty. And the thing is, uh, so many books have been have come out. Uh, you know, in the last Nietzsche. You know, I love to read Nietzsche. He's a brilliant writer. I d don't necessarily agree with him, but oh, he can grasp your attention. You know, and well, yeah. and you had great writers. Uh, well, you had uh, G.K. who and both C.S. Lewis and G.K. were atheists before their conversion, and you had some of the more brilliant writers like Anton Flew in the last century who, you know, did a really good job of representing their view on atheism. Of course, Anton Flew, as we know, became a, a, a Christian or became a believer uh, at the turn of the century just before he died, um, believed in God uh, because of the argument from design. But but those guys were smart guys, but you, you read the books today. I have a friend, Todd, crazy Todd Robertson. He towed my son into 80-foot surf. <laughs> so he's a, he's he's crazy, and uh, he was raised in a fundamentalist home where they thought the world was only five thousand years old, and he only was allowed to read the Bible for math and English and everything else, and so he kind of naturally rejected all that, and he spends a good deal of his time reading scripture and trying to refute it, and so he's a very strong atheist. Atheists have kind of redefined what atheism in now, is now. Atheism, I thought, used to be that you don't believe in God, but now they say, well, it's that we don't see evidence for the existence of God, which to me is a cop-out because it, it doesn't put any burden of proof on them. Yeah, that's right. And uh, in, in fact, it's, um, <laughs> but even saying that, that they don't see any evidence, I guess that's what Bertrand Russell said. Uh, if somebody asked him, hey, if, um, you know, if you died now and, and went before the Lord and there he was, uh, what would you say to him if he asked, why didn't you believe in me? And his answer was, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. Yeah, and you know, the problem is that a lot of the, you know, when you read, uh, as you would say, the polemics, I would just say the angst in the books by the, the neo-atheists, the Richard Dawkins, and there's, there's a lot of angst, there's a lot of anger in there, and most of what you're seeing there is based uh, on the argument of, uh, uh, you know, from science. What, but you basically rip that, uh, rip that uh, the ball right out of their arm to say, well, we're not going to, we're going to approach this from a totally uh, a different approach. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. From, from, because I can tell people what the odds are, because of, of, uh, I've read books, uh, books that quote science on what the probability is of the DNA molecule randomly coming together. Uh, but then I have to take a scientist's uh, uh, <laughs> um, word for that. That's right. Uh, and yeah. what I love about your book is you take this fresh, fresh approach and without any angst, just with a real delight and truth, and, and just from what we can observe ourselves, uh, you take us along the path of, of, of Aquinas and Aristotle. Tell us why uh, Aquinas and Aristotle are so valuable. Yeah, it's it's because of what you're saying just now, Bear. That um, with with uh, arguments that start from things like the the amazing facts of astrophysics or uh, the amazing facts of biochemistry, uh, those things are are beautiful and worth knowing. Uh, but they're they're sophisticated things that don't fall within the experience of the layperson, uh, your your experience or mine. And so we're necessarily starting from the get-go by placing our faith in the word of experts uh, or placing our faith in the author of the book we're reading that he or she has actually gotten the facts right, gotten the scientists right. Uh, we can't verify any of these things in our own lives. So uh, the, the advantage of, um, of Thomas Aquinas's way of proving the existence of God, his five arguments, for example, uh, they're they're short and they're hard to follow. Okay, so there's there's a um, reason to have a book about them. They're not sort of self-explanatory, but once you start reasoning from them, once you see how they actually work, they're beginning from things that we can all know for ourselves. Um, things like you can't give what you don't have. <laughs> a, a premise like that is extremely general, but it comes out of. Uh, I mean, you, you see that embodied in everything that you do, and it's self-evident. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that you would need um, a biochemist to explain to you. But once you've secured a sufficient number of premises of that kind, you start to put them together and out come some pretty amazing um, uh, consequences that not everybody knows or not everybody can prove anyway. Things like there has to be a god and you have to have an immortal soul. Uh, so that's the main advantage. There are advantages to the other side too, beginning from uh, the uh, spectacular details of science. Uh, those are impressive to people. Everybody's worried about what science is saying and how is that really something I can reconcile with my faith and is that an alternative to faith? So it's important to talk about those things too. Uh, but if you leave it at that, if that's all the, all, all the books that are being written about the existence of God are along those lines, then um, you can't, uh, uh, what, what, you're not really equipping people to see the truth about God from their own um, knowledge from things that they're they're aware of themselves, and so they're they're kind of stuck in a position of constantly trusting experts. But you know, uh, and, and here's what's happening: we're we, we're seeing a whole generation that thinks it's cool to be an atheist. Yeah, uh, you know, true. I know I know I had a godsend. I was in the Chicago airport about a month ago, and a young kid there who had graduated from a Catholic high school was on his way to Rome with his parents, and uh, I, we just kind of just started to talk story and uh, found out he's an atheist. And so he and I are going to have a dialogue. I'm going to send him your book. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think that this younger generation is not stupid, and they've been, they've been uh, led down uh, you know, with, with, with angst and rhetoric and, and false information, this path. And sooner or later, they're going to find out that the emperor isn't wearing any clothes, and then they're going to open up their minds and their hearts to possibilities of a spiritual world, uh, of a first cause, as you would say, 
and my concern is that they, they might go the new age movement or you know the, the pantheistic yeah, right. movement but here's the thing as catholics as aquinas said he took the water of reason and turned it into the wine of faith yes. we need to be prepared to approach the neo-atheists uh, uh, when they're ready uh, with kindness uh, which comes from certainty of our position and uh, be able to lead them far enough along to get to the point where they can see that there is a first cause and then from there uh, lead them to, to faith. That's why I feel this conversation is so important. We're about to go a little bit deeper with Michael. Uh, how do I say your last name again? Algros, Ar- right? Algros, yes. Algros. So like uh, A-W okay. at the beginning. Algros, uh, who's written the book, Who Designed the Designer? Please uh, don't listen to our commercials during our break. Call uh, younger people and get them to listen to this show uh, because now we're about to go deep and present the arguments uh, from philosophy for the existence of God. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak, and I have as my co-adventure guide, Michael Algros, who's written the book, Who Designed the Designer? We'll be right back with more Deep Adventure Radio. Deep Adventure Radio, where the surf is always up. The EWTN Radio Network, broadcasting to the world. EWTN, I don't know what we would do without it. God bless you all. We now have social media platforms available for you as well. Stay in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We're here for you 24-7. We're the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Deep Adventure Radio has challenged you to accept the wild adventure of God's will. Now, go even deeper with Bear's best-selling book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul. In story after story, Bear takes us along as he paddles deep, surfing alongside whales and dolphins and avoiding killer sharks. Bear shares his experiences of the ocean in an intimate and exciting way. We share in his pain, healing through God, and the joy of finding that deep, intimate relationship with him. As the story unfolds, you'll see how surfing has become the metaphor for the journey toward intimacy with God. Deep in the Wave, a surfing guide to the soul, will stir your own desire to go deeper into your faith. Order it today at deepadventure.com for your own faith journey or for someone who needs to go deeper. Deep in the Wave, a surfing guide to the soul by Bear Wozniak. Available at deepadventure.com. For a complete list of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network AM and FM stations across America, go to EWTN.com, look for the radio pull-down menu, and select AM FM stations. The list is updated regularly, so visit often. Again, go to EWTN.com, look for the radio pull-down menu, and select AM FM stations. Also at EWTN.com, you'll find out how to listen to us on the web, on shortwave, and in some countries on satellite. You'll find it all on EWTN.com. Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak. Aloha, this is Bear Wozniak from DeepAdventure.com with Deep Virtue number 66. I don't know how many of you out there have uh, got your private pilot license, but one of the first things they do, I mean, within the first two or three flights, I don't know if they're using it to separate the men from the boys or, or, or what, but they take you out and they teach you how to do a stall. In other words, you're flying in the plane, it's doing, you're doing just great, you're like, uh, you know, tense as can be, you're hanging on too hard to the, you know, to the throttle and everything. And then they say, okay, just raise this nose up and put it to full throttle and let's take this puppy up until it stalls and starts to fall back down. So you're going up and up and up and up and you start hearing, uh, you start hearing the engine screaming louder, you, you, you feel yourself slowing down and then there's this high kind of whistling sound 
uh, that is screaming at you saying, this isn't good, this is, a me- this is an alarm, you're about to go into a stall, and then all of a sudden the plane stalls and, and your engine, which of course is the heaviest part of the plane, just drops and you're in free fall. Your engine is just dr- hurtling towards earth. And then the instructor says, put it you know, to full throttle, go as fast as you can. And what that does is it accelerates you enough uh, so that you'll come out of the stall. The lesson is that an airplane wants to fly. And an airplane is made to fly. Even in a stall, it wants to come out of that stall and it wants to fly. You're an airplane. God has given you a spirit. God's given you a heart that's meant to soar, that's meant to fly. If you feel yourself in a stall, put your nose down. Get a little bit humble and just focus on the Lord. And just say, Lord, not by might, not by strength, but by your spirit. I give all I am to you. You're meant to fly. Your problems shouldn't be holding you down. Get humble before the Lord. This is Bear Wozniak from DeepAdventure.com. Deep Virtue with Bear Wozniak. Find out more at DeepAdventure.com. International Deep Adventure Radio. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. Uh, we have with us today a guest that I think, I think the book that he's written is, is, is very significant because I actually could understand it. <laughs> so, I mean, and that's also, that is very, very helpful because uh, normally when I read books like this, my jaw kind of drops open and I mouth breathe a little bit, sometimes even stop breathing. So um, this book um, covers the question, who designed the designer? It's really a book that approaches the existence of God from a philosophical point of view vis-a-vis a scientific point of view and uh, kind of lifts, lifts our, our thinking into another realm. And I think it's so essential right now. We are going to, this show right now is going to lead people to a deeper consideration of the existence of God who have kind of rejected uh, it rejected God. A lot of times people reject God. I can see in the New Atheism there's an angst there which makes me believe they're, not, they're, they're rejecting God almost from a point of view of anger. And, uh, and maybe sometimes people reject God because they've fallen into immorality and they've got to kind of uh, push him aside. But for whatever reason, open up your heart and your mind right now and listen. Michael, can you lead us through the few of the initial stages of, of the philosophical approach to the existence of God? I can do that. Yes, Bear. Thank you. Um, what you just said, though, that, that you started reading it and that you, you can actually understand some of it, that's, that's, uh, that's the whole thing that I was working so hard on and trying to, to, to make this, this particular case for the existence of God that comes out of Thomas Aquinas. Um, because I, I've studied that for years and I always thought this is something that a lot of people could understand if it were presented in a kind of a modern format and not left in the Latin of St. Thomas or left in this, these terse little one paragraph long arguments where he assumes we know a whole bunch of things that he's talking about and most of us don't know them. Uh, and I thought if you just expand it into something a little bigger and put it in a modern format and include some storytelling along the way, a lot of people should be able to understand this and the, the faithful would really benefit from this and even maybe people who are still searching. Um, and I had a pretty good sense that I was uh, successful, at least to some extent, when I, I heard that my uh, uh, a confirmation, a young man who was just confirmed, he's in the ninth grade, he's a friend of one of my sons, uh, he, he read the book and he read it in four days and he told me he understood the whole thing. So I, well, you know, I, what I, you know what I did when I picked up your book? As I prayed, St. Thomas Aquinas, please help me to understand, you know, that doesn't, 
that doesn't hurt. You know, because he wrote a book for beginners, right? The Summa is supposed exactly to be for beginners. Right. Yeah. Didn't feel like it to me. But this no, book truly is. Reason for that. Yeah, his, for him, a beginner means somebody who's ready to begin sacred theology and is already formally trained in all the liberal arts in the major parts of philosophy. You really know your Aristotle. So it, his beginner should be put in scare quotes. Uh, so anyway, but, but that's part of the problem, though, is somebody like Richard Dawkins says, hey, it's for beginners, right? So he picks up the summa, you know, pretty close to page one. You've got the five ways of proving the existence of God. He's talking to me. So it, I read it, and it doesn't make sense it, to me, he, so he failed. Well, he's clueless. He, yeah. he doesn't understand the arguments at all. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There's no fairness to those arguments in the God delusion. That's absolutely right. Um, but uh, you know, so coming back to the the actual um, arguments, though the the way the way that, that the reasoning goes um, uh, is is like this. Uh, <laughs> think start with Bertrand Russell. Uh, Bertrand Russell said uh, he used to believe in the argument from a, about a first cause, which is basically what my book is. It's a it's the argument about a first cause, sort of spread out over an entire book, step by step. Uh, but Bertrand Russell said, I used to believe that, that there had to be a first cause of everything, and so there, it, there had to be a, a maker of the world, and that was God, until somebody pointed out to me, but wait a minute, who, who made God? And then I thought, well, gee, either everything needs a cause, and then there's no God, um, or some things don't need a cause. And if some things don't need a cause, well, then it might as well just be the world that we live in, nature, the, the universe. That needs no cause, and then you have no reason to believe in a God. Uh, and that was the end of that for Bertrand Russell. But in a way, what he's doing there, he's he's um, setting up exactly the way that this book begins and the way that somebody like Thomas Aquinas would begin, namely by seeing that there has to be something that exists without anything giving existence to it. It just exists by itself. It doesn't need anything to uphold it in being. Uh, and uh, you know, I think St. Paul talks about this, that uh, you know, in whom we live and move and have our being. So <laughs> uh, we're not like that. We derive our being from other things um, and from other causes prior to us. And even as long as we're existing, we're actually receiving our existence from something else. Uh, that's not exactly clear just by looking at us. That's the kind of thing that you would need a, a, a philosopher to help you see why you would have to say that. Um, but that's what I do at the beginning of the book is that one of the first steps is to show, well, there has to be something that exists without, without another thing upholding it in existence, a thing that can just be all by itself, a thing that can act and produce effects all by itself without being helped to do so by, by a more powerful cause. But whatever that thing is, um, that, that's what the whole book is about. What kind of thing is that? Is that uh, a mindless lump of matter? Is it energy? Is it something like that? That's what the atheist will say. Um, but it turns out it can't be that at all. And one of the reasons is because um, uh, the, the, the first cause has to be the first producer of all motion that takes place in the world. All movement, all change is something that comes from a cause of some kind or other. Um, so the first cause, the first mover, you could say, is uh, that's going to be the thing that exists by itself, produces effects without any help from anything else. That thing has to be the first cause of change. It can't actually be changeable itself. Um, now, I'm not going to go into all the details, the hairy details about that, but uh, that's sort of where the argument begins. And St. Thomas does the same thing in the Summa Theologiae when he talks about a first mover. Um, it's a little bit like saying if, if you talk about... Um, uh, reasons you give people to convince them of things, 
that can't go back forever. There has to be a first reason that's kind of obvious by itself, and you don't need any reason for that. <laughs> if you don't have that, if there's no starting point like that, you can't convince anyone of anything. So similarly, if there were no uh, first cause of, of the existence of things and of motion in the world, there wouldn't be anything at all. There wouldn't be any, any uh, creatures. There wouldn't be any movement. There wouldn't be any action or effects of any kind. So then the big question is, well, what is this, this first cause, this primal being, which is the first thing that exists and, and, and doesn't need any cause before it? Uh, and the answer has to be that, well, if it's not changeable, then it's not material. <laughs> then it's got to be something spiritual. Um, but a way to get there without going through um, all of the, the details that we were, I was just sort of touching on would be to say, look, the, the world is beautiful. It's beautiful in its parts and it's beautiful as a whole. So either that's a coincidence of some kind, a cosmic coincidence uh, uh, repeated over and over again throughout the world, right? Or uh, which is not rational, <laughs> or there's some kind of cause of the natural world that's interested in the beautiful. And that, I think, is uh, um, perhaps the most accessible and, and compelling reason for seeing that there has to be an intellect, a mind, that's responsible for nature, not just natural forces. Uh, and and that, I think that, that kind of fits with what... Um, St. Paul is talking about in Romans 1.20 when he says, look, when people say there's, there's no God, uh, they're without excuse because the evidence is all around them. Unlike Bertrand Russell who says not enough evidence, really the evidence is everywhere. Uh, one night at the dinner table, my son Ben asked, hey dad, I heard you're writing a book uh, about, uh, mom says you're writing a book about uh, the existence of God and you're trying to prove that. And how do you prove it? Where do you start? Do you start with... Um, uh, quasars or with the Big Bang or uh, with something from quantum physics or well, what, what do you start with? And I said, well, you could start with any of those things, I suppose. Um, but the, the amazing thing is, and this really makes sense when you think about it, you can start with anything. Start, <laughs> start, start with, with a hanging lamp. Yeah, absolutely. A hanging lamp like in chapter one there, or you can start with a pile of dirt or you can start like St. Thomas and Aristotle do with the fact that humble motion exists, ordinary motion. Um, that, that's the kind of thing that you can start from. And it makes sense if you say, look, God means the source of the existence of all things other than himself. If he really is that, then that means other things can't exist without being caused by him. And if that's true, you should be able to see that about them. You should be able to discern their dependence on something prior to them. So one of the things that, that, uh, that does that, I think, is the beauty of the world. And uh, because there you see what something that only a mind would care about is all over the world it's all it's written all over nature it's like a divine signature uh, and I think that um, uh, that's the kind of thing that an example of the kind of thing that St. Paul is thinking of when he says people are without excuse when they deny the existence of God because the evidence is all around you um, he says that it, it's clearly seen the uh, the power of God the eternity and wisdom of God are, are, are clearly seen in the things that are made He's not thinking specifically of the Big Bang, of course, St. Paul, 2,000 years ago. He's not thinking of, of the details of biochemistry, although he would tell you, uh, once you find those details, you're going to see the hand of God there too. But you don't have to wait for those details to come along before you can see that this world is the product of an intelligent author. 
Uh, I think that's uh, what St. Paul is saying. And in some ways, that, that's really the motivation behind the whole book was um, I love all those uh, books that are out there now about the existence of God that are science-based. I, I think they're... Oh, they're I, I love them. Yeah, they're marvelous efforts of reason, and they, they accomplish some really important things. But there was one thing that they weren't accomplishing that, that I thought needed to be done as well, yeah. and it was this. To, to be able to see the existence of God from our own experience, each of us, uh, well, from, from ordinary uh, life as lived, you could say. Yeah, we're speaking with, with, with Michael Agros, who's written the book, Who Designed to the Designer. You know, you, you skipped one really big thing, and that is, uh, I know there's a God because there's chocolate, and I also <laughs> can taste it and enjoy it. So that's my number one reason. Uh, we're going to be right back. We're going to go a little bit deeper with Michael, uh, who wrote the book, Who Designed the Designer. This is Bear Wozniak with Deep Adventure Radio. You're listening to Deep Adventure Radio with Bear Wozniak, the boldest hour of radio in the history of the world. Be courageous and take your relationship with God to the next level. Check out our website at deepadventure.com. You can sign up for fellow adventurer Bear's weekly email. Go deeper in faith with Deep Virtue Blog. Order Bear's book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul, and follow Bear as he takes you on a radical adventure through calm tides, monster waves, and the powerful presence of God. At deepadventure.com, you can journey with Bear on his travels, find out how to bring him to your parish or men's conference, and accept the challenge of an intimate relationship with God. Tackle the deepest part of yourself by signing up for our Deep Adventure Quest retreats. The most radical thing you can do is abandon yourself to the wild adventure of God's will. Find out more at deepadventure.com. Right now, right here, you get the splendor of truth for free. Yes, absolutely free. The EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, helping you to change your life for the better forever. I have never turned my station off since I found you. I just had to call in and say thank you so much for saving me. Back to Deep Adventure Radio with Bear Wozniak, suffering in paradise for you. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. I'm your adventure guide, Bear Wozniak, and we're on an adventure right now. We're in the pursuit. We're going into the deep, dark space uh, of the universe seeking God. We're going to find him under a microscope, and we're going to find him in the gaps. We're going to find him somewhere high, high up the ridge of improbability. Uh, perhaps not. We have as our guest today uh, Michael Agro, the author of Who Designed the Designer, who's going to sweep all that stuff aside and give us such a clarity uh, uh, to be able to see things from a point of view about the existence of God from um, uh, looking at it from philosophy. One of the challenges I have with people when I talk about uh, first cause is, you know, we, who, you know who, who caused the Big Bang? You know, that's kind of the first question people ask. Uh, and now uh, Hawkins and Hawkins and, I mean, uh, uh, Hitchens and all of them, they'll go, well, you know, there might have been zillions, an infinite amount of universes before this universe. And maybe just, just, just fortunately by the playing the cards just right, this particular universe happened to have the DNA molecules and all those things and the, the, the strong, the, the, the different physical forces um, be just the right uh, calibration that we just happen to cr create intelligent, rational life. You know, so they, they come up with that. And uh, because if you look at their argument from just the point of view of the universe being 13.8 billion years old, there's no way just by chance all of this could happen. So now they've designed multiverses. 
But you present a great argument to this whole uh, uh, problem with infinite regression. Can you um, can you share th share that with us? Absolutely. Um, when I was in high school, I, I actually asked my physics teacher about the sort of thing that, that you were just talking about there, Bear. Uh, I said, I was wondering what he would say. You know, I said, if there's a big bang, doesn't there have to be a, a beginner of the beginning? Doesn't there have to be a cause of that, something outside the universe and so on? And doesn't that just immediately get us to God? And he said, well, what if, what if there was something before the Big Bang that was another natural thing? Maybe the Big Bang's just part of a big cycle. And he said something like you were just talking about there. Um, so uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I sort of walked away from that thinking, well, okay, I, I don't know what to say to that. And, of course, since then, a lot of very interesting books have been written about that kind of thing. But I, I went down another path um, and followed Thomas Aquinas and was really amazed to find out uh, that he thought that the world did have a, a temporal beginning, um, because that's a matter of faith for us, but, but he said you can't prove that. <laughs> he said that's something that God reveals to us and we can't see that that's true, at least not just based on our ordinary experience. The philosopher can't figure that out. Maybe a scientist can say more. But, but he said um, uh, that's something we, we can't know just by sitting around and reflecting on general principles of, 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 about reality. Uh, nonetheless, we can know there's a first cause, and that blew my mind. I thought, what on earth are you talking about? There's a first cause, but there's no beginning? How, 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 maybe there's no beginning as far as we can tell? We can't prove there's a beginning, but we can prove there's a first cause? Sounds like a contradiction. So, um, I, said, uh, so I started reading more carefully, and then I found out this Aristotle guy that, that Thomas Aquinas learned a lot from. But did Aristotle, he, Aristotle, did he believe the universe was e e infinite and eternal, didn't he? I forget what his... Take was on that. Okay. Yeah, that, that's right. Aristotle uh, thought that the world never had a beginning in time. He thought before every chicken was an egg and before every egg was a chicken for eternity all the way back. No, no start. <laughs> um, so th that's where Aristotle was coming from and yet he believed that there was a first mover and a first cause as well. Now th that really made me puzzle. How could that be? And it turns out the reason is because he's not looking at a first cause that would be the beginning of starting the dominoes falling. That's not the kind of thing he's looking for, which is the kind of thing we tend to be looking for. He's looking instead for a first cause that's operating right now and has always been operating and is, is causing the motions and the existences of things in the world all the time, not somebody that just got something started and then let it go, which is more like a deist conception of God anyway. By deist, uh, you mean someone who just wound up the watch and is letting it run? Yeah, so a deist uh, is, I guess, or a deist is somebody deist. that thinks uh, there's a god that sort of, yeah, wound up the watch and then let it go. So made the universe and now the universe is independent, emancipated, and doesn't depend on God anymore. And uh, Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle both don't think that's true, Plato as well. They, they don't think that at all. What they're looking for is a little bit more like this. Um, if you see something, an effect is being produced, like a painting on, on a canvas, um, and it's being produced by a, a brush, a paintbrush, and the paintbrush is being moved by the hand, and the hand is being moved by the mind of an artist, that is a, a series of causes, but they're not like dominoes, because they're different kinds of causes, and each one is, making the, is acting on the next thing simultaneously. They're all working together. And the first cause in that little series is the mind of the artist. Now that's the kind of thing that Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle were looking for. Um, uh, what is the thing that's acting right now that is making other things exist and making other things do what they do? 
but nothing's making it exist and nothing's making it do what it does. It can exist all by itself. What is that independent, self-existing thing? That's the first cause. Now, um, if I understood you correctly earlier, you were asking, how do we even know there has to be a first cause at all of any kind? Uh, if you start looking at these kinds of series now where we're looking at things acting simultaneously and not going backwards in time, then you see, oh, it's really a weird idea to think that you could have an infinity of things that are causing the painting to come into existence and they're all doing that right now. That just doesn't seem plausible at all. But if you want to work it out a little more and see that it's actually impossible to have an infinity like that. Um, we, uh, sometimes I use this example. Uh, can you have light, uh, uh, a mirror reflect light, um, even though the mirror doesn't produce the light itself? Sure, that's possible. But it has to receive that light from a light source, from something else. Uh, could it get it from another mirror? Sure, absolutely. Could that mirror get the light from a prior mirror? Yes, absolutely. How far back can that go? Well, it can go back maybe as far as you want, but unless somewhere along the line you've got a light source, you're not going to have any light because the mirrors are, are, they don't produce light, they only hand it on, you could say. Um, so if that's all you've got is things that can't produce any light at all, can't produce any effect at all, unless they're given that from something else, then you're not going to have any light. <laughs> uh, and the same thing is true with, uh, um, with the world. If, you, if every cause that's out there right now is a cause that's being caused by something else, you'd say, well, that, that's, that's impossible. You've got a bunch of things that are not causes of themselves at all. Well, then you're not going to have any effects. That's what you're going to have. Uh, so there has to be, if there's any effect at all in the world, there has to be a source. There has to be a first cause. And that first cause is existing and acting right now. We're not talking about it working in the past. And it, is, it can't be moved? Uh, that's right, but it yeah, moves. That's... So, what, you know, Michael, you know, we're out of time. Mm. And, but I think, it, I, you know, and I, I didn't think you'd have any challenge at all proving the existence of God in, in three minutes or less. But I think you got pretty close to it. I think what we, you did is you did a great job of whetting our appetites. Uh, this book is a, is, a, is a great book. It's based on Aquinas, Aristotle, a philosophical approach to the existence of God. Who designed the designer? It's very refreshing, and even I can understand it. So, uh, and Peter Kraft loves it. So those are two very extreme ends of the spectrum. Uh, so we'd love for you to uh, go to, uh, where, where should they, what's the best place for them to find you, Michael? Well, they can find it on Ignatius. They can find it on Amazon. Uh, just get online there and, and Google the title of the book, Who Designed the Designer? Uh, or my last name, Agros, A-U-G-R-O-S, and, and they'll find it. Okay, well, I hope you guys get some rain out there in California. This is Bear Wozniak, uh, your adventure guide we've had as our co-adventure guide, Michael Agros, the writer of Who Designed the Designer. You guys, you got you to gotta go and get this book because you need to be armed with these arguments uh, for the, this younger generation who's kind of being led down the kind of a dead-end path. Uh, Michael, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Bear. Okay, we'll be right back with more Deep Adventure Radio. Surf's Up, real and radical ways to live your faith. Hi, this is Daniel the Boone Markham at DanielMarkham.com with this week's episode of Surf's Up. Dreamers with elbow grease. It was my Harley fat boy, pup tent, and sleeping bag that complemented my recent nine-day solo, 2,200-mile ride from Southern California to Farmington, New Mexico, then back home on a southerly route, almost all on secondary highways. 
Riding solo on secondary roads is the best. No other riders to be concerned about and very little traffic. Just going where the journey takes me. Riding is like being in a movie or a dream. I often dream about my journey with God, where he and I may be going. Riding with my face in the wind is a great time for us to talk and even better time for me to listen to God. Made in the image of God, all humans are wired to be dreamers. These aren't hopers, but dreamers. These are people who will stop at nothing less than to transform their world, whether their world be as small as their family or larger than the earth itself. Dreamers imagine the impossible as possible. God dreamers move beyond the dream, the vision. They do something about it, relentlessly so, often compelled by the unseen creative mind and hand of God. History is full of such dreamers who God used to change the world, the likes of the apostles and people like St. Francis and St. John Bosco. God chose to use flawed human beings, but flawed human beings with motivation, vision, passion, and a whole lot of elbow grease. After God gives us a dream, he calls us to work. It's tough work, but it's the preeminent work. The most rewarding work is for man on behalf of God. Here's a news flash. God is always on the move. Get tight with him and hitch a ride at the local soup kitchen, the food bank, or building homes for the homeless. This is Daniel DeBoon Markham at DanielMarkham.com on a journey a few miles this side of heaven. Surf's up. Go deep or go home. International Deep Adventure Radio. Aloha and welcome back to Deep Adventure Radio. This is Bear Wozniak. You know, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, if you go to Bear Wozniak, my last name is W-O-Z-N-I-C-K, you can... Uh, you can't friend me, but when you try to friend me, it'll it'll make you it'll help you to be a follower because I got too many friends. Um, but and that's a lot of fun. That that Facebook page is kind of fun because I'll post a lot of stuff about surfing and things like that. Or more importantly, you can go to our Deep Adventure Ministries fan page they call it and like us. That really helps give us some clout with the networks when we want to present material for them to air. So we appreciate that, and it's a great way for us to get to you our social media our. We send you our two-minute Surf's Up, our two-minute Deep Virtues, and our whole hour-long radio shows so you can share them with your friends. And so uh, that's very important. And, you know, don't forget, you can go there and to our website, deepadventure.com. You can subscribe to our newsletter and our social media there. And you can buy, buy my book, uh, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul, which I really I think is a great thing for you to buy, to read, uh, to enjoy, but then also to get to your friends because it's a great a call to deeper conversion in Christ. And uh, we need your help uh, in support of the ministry. There's a donate button there. Or you can write to us if you have some unique ways that you would like to help us because we're getting, uh, we're starting up another reality show, The Long Ride Home, a Harley ride uh, through the monasteries and uh, a journey into the contemplative life. So we need, uh, we need help in that area. We need some corporate sponsorship in that area, in fact. So until next week, this is Bear Wozniak with Deep Adventure Radio. May the breath of the Holy Spirit Aloha you. Aloha. This is Deep Adventure Radio. Hear archived shows, buy Bear's book, Deep in the Wave, A Surfing Guide to the Soul, and sign up for our Wave of the Week email at deepadventure.com. For the latest news on Bear and Deep Adventure, visit us on Facebook and share Deep Adventure with your friends. The most radical thing you can do in life is abandon yourself to the wild adventure of God's will. Deep Adventure Radio.